Good evening, everyone in Alberta, Canada, and beyond. It is Wednesday, April 12th, 2023, and I'm Carrie Lambert, and I welcome you to an online webinar evening of Solutions for a New Alberta, brought to you by the Alberta Prosperity Project, also known as APP. Our purpose is to educate, inspire, and unite all Albertans, businesses, and organizations to protect their prosperity, individual freedoms, rights, and sovereignty by empowering the Alberta government to restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada. Of course, we couldn't do any of this without your help. If this is your first time watching, welcome, and I hope you find this information engaging and wanting to find out more. And if you're a regular APP webinar viewer, thank you for your support. We couldn't do this without you as well. APP is membership driven with a goal of a million plus members to help steer the political process. APP memberships are one year for $20, two years for $30, three years for $40, or you can make a donation at albertaprosperityproject.com. We also have APP merchandise at albertaprosperityproject.com. And uh, one more thing I need to let everyone know is you can register for a petition to establish Alberta's independence page at uh, bit.ly slash abvotesyes. And I'm going to put that up on the screen if I can figure out how to do all these little banners. I am on my own again tonight right there. That's where you can go. And uh, just in case anybody's really interested in, look at the shirt I'm wearing. Can anybody see that? Is that the nicest shirt you have seen in a long time? Yeah, that's an Alberta flag, people. Alberta flag. So... What are we talking about tonight? Well, let me tell you, tonight's webinar is entitled A History of Alberta Independence Movement, and our guest is author and researcher Michael Wagner, a good friend too. And uh, this is a live webinar, so we encourage you to ask questions and make comments throughout this presentation. Just put three question marks before your question, so it'll be flagged and we can quickly view the questions as we go through or even at the end. And with that, I'm going to bring Mr. Wagner on now, and he will tell you a little bit about himself. How are you, Michael? I'm not bad at yourself. Excellent. Thank you. Great. I love your shirt. It's a great shirt. I know, isn't it? <laughs> you can't really tell when it's just sitting like this. Yeah, yeah. You got to stand up for that one. So, oh, so yeah, I was just going to say, tell us a little bit about yourself. And uh, obviously, I know who you are and, and probably uh, many APP um, chapter viewers, uh, anybody that's gone out to see you speak, but please, uh, enlighten us. Tell us who you are. Well, I guess like for the purposes of this, uh, webinar, um, my main qualifications are I've written a couple of books about the Alberta independence movement. I mean, it's something actually that I got involved with originally when I was a teenager in the early eighties. And, uh, you know, I wasn't involved consistently all this time, but, um, it was something that sure stuck with me. And, uh, so in 2009, I, I wrote a book, um, Okay, that's my second book. That's my book from 2021, No Other Option. Okay. Um, and if you go down a bit, maybe a few more down there. Okay, there's Alberta Separatism Then and Now. That is a history of the Alberta Separatist Movement or Alberta Independence Movement. So I wrote that in 2009. And that, you know, goes back to the origin of the uh, independence movement, which is around 1970. It was anyway during the Pierre Trudeau's first uh, term in office. So it goes from that time to 2009 when I wrote the book. So uh, the main focus is, you know, around the early 1980s when we had the national energy program that's when the independence movement was very strong mm -hmm. i wrote that in 2009 there was no interest in the book at that time because uh stephen harper was prime minister and there was basically no independence movement and so <laughs> the book seemed dead at the time and it didn't yeah. didn't yeah so the timing was off but um in recent years um finally there's been some interest in it because of what's been going on so 
So, so that's the history of the independence movement. Then the, the book at the top of the list there that we showed earlier, No Other Option, uh, that's uh, a book that I wrote in 2021 to advocate why Alberta should become independent. I mean, there's, of course, lots of historical information in there as to why Alberta should become independent, but um, mm -hmm. it also explains, you know, how why it's constitutional now for Alberta to become independent and some other things like that. So those are the books I've written. That's probably my main qualification as to why, you know, I should I can speak at Alberta Prosperity Project and why people would be interested. And obviously, just by writing, you, you're you quite the researcher because, I mean, there's so much history in terms of knowing that. And, you know, the, the thing about Alberta Prosperity Project, it just didn't come into existence. This is this has been a long conversation happening. Well, again, you, you would know, like probably since Confederation or not Confederation, since, since we were brought in in 1905 as, as Alberta, but definitely probably the early 70s. Yeah, I mean, uh, the West has felt, you know, unfairly treated right from the very beginning. I mean, even when you think of this part of, of Canada, that when it was Rupert's land, you know, purchased by Canada from the Hudson's Bay Company, and there was people living here, and they were not consulted, like they were not asked what they wanted, you know, uh, their political future to be. So you've got the people like Real, Louis Real and the other people in the uh, Red River Settlement, and suddenly a governor shows up from Canada saying, I'm your governor. And yeah. I was like, uh, no, I don't think you are our governor. <laughs> And, and he had a lot of guys supporting him who had guns. And so uh, to make a long story short, that led to some negotiations, which ended up uh, in the creation of the province of Manitoba. But, yeah. and, and, you know, and then there was other things after that, too, where the West has felt unfairly treated. So the West has always felt that way. But but the idea that Alberta or, and, or that the West should become its own independent country, that did not really take off until Pierre Trudeau's time in office, you know, in the, in the late 60s, early 70s. Yeah, I know... Um... We uh, actually, you and I are actually in that uh, in the Rebel News movie, and I'm gonna just quickly look for it. Sure, uh, yeah, Un ungovernable. Yes, um, in which you you basically tell uh, the the story just in a minor minor version of uh, of where we are and how how we got to where we are. Or, yeah, how we got to where we are. Oh, it says yeah. premium content. I'll bring it up anyways. If anybody wants to uh, to log in, I do have I do have premium content, but probably just not loaded onto this uh, particular site. But if you go to just rebelnews.com and look for ungovernable, um, and if you are a Rebel News subscriber, I think it's like eight dollars a month or five dollars or whatever. Just just sign up, you'll get access to this movie, and uh, it, it's it's excellent. Uh, Kian Simone was the producer and uh, videographer for most of it, and. Um, and and again, the, the 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 great thing is you get people like like Michael Wagner coming on and uh, and speaking about the history of uh, where we were and uh, where you know where we were, where we are now, and hopefully where we can be soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I, like I think Ungovernable is free on on uh, YouTube and Rumble. It probably is, yeah. Yeah, so. just I, actually, because yeah, Walter just put a message there, but I I, I watched it on YouTube. Well, okay. I mean, I, actually, I'd seen it in the when the, when they brought it to Edmonton in October. I, I was there at the that's right bunch of it. So that's right, great. So why don't we why don't we actually start? Uh, I guess at the beginning about uh, like I'm I know you and you and I have known each other for a year, anyways, a year plus, yeah. and yeah. Um, and you did a speech at uh, the Independence Party AGM. And that's kind of where I first met you. And then you did uh, another speech at, at the one that came up. And you had said to me that you did this speech the entire year, right? <laughs> yeah. Every event you went out yeah. to, you basically yeah. had the same thing. And now you said 
uh, when we were talking the other day that uh, you've actually changed it because because things have changed and uh, and you wanted to spice it up a little bit. So I'm not sure if that's the way you want to talk about things going going for tonight. Does that make sense for you? Sure. Well, like like it, it goes chronological. Like yeah the, yeah, the one that I had been delivering last year, like so many a number of people heard it, and you know, I was hearing of people who'd heard it three or four times, and uh, I thought, oh boy, they I don't want to think they want to hear that same thing. So I thought for the for the one this year, I better have a different uh, yeah a different emphasis. I mean, a lot of the information cannot change because you don't change the history, but there were things that I could bring in that I hadn't talked about last year. That's so, right. But yeah, last year's talk in particular was just to show, you know. The, the kind of the provocations against Alberta from the time of Pierre Trudeau and yeah. the different proposals that various people had brought up. Because the, the main point that I was making in that is, you know, there's so many people who would like to reform Canada and make things better for Alberta that way. And that makes perfect sense. But yeah. the thing is that people have been talking that way for almost 50 years and and trying different things for 50 years. So, you, you know, at some point, th these various things, if they keep failing, we should try something different. And independence is that route. But but yeah, mm -hmm. it certainly begins in, in, you know, under when Pierre Trudeau became prime minister, one of his main reasons for getting involved in politics was to make Quebec feel at home throughout Canada. So one of his main uh, original policies was the, was the Official Languages Act, which would make French much more prominent in English Canada. And in particular, you know, as far as we are concerned, it was making French much more prominent in, in the prairies. And yes. a lot of the people here were not happy with that. Like, why do we need to have French all over when there's mm -hmm. hardly any you know, French speaking people here? It was, it was done for Quebec. And so a lot of people were kind of offended by that. And that was kind of the, the original movement to you know create organizations for western for uh, you know making the west an independent country were probably based on those kind of cultural considerations but that wasn't a, a deep enough um kind of um provocation like to spread widely and and to you know really get the movement going but but it didn't take long like in 1973 there was a war in the middle east and as a result of that oil prices skyrocketed and that changed everything because uh, one of the things that Pierre Trudeau did was he brought in an export tax on oil. Now that doesn't sound very exciting. That sounds like a pretty bland kind of thing, but it was, it was a very, very important thing because there'd never been anything done like that before because Alberta owned owns and, and controls its own resources and oil is you know Alberta that's a provincial jurisdiction and yeah. and the federal government was taxing our resources as we exported them to the United States and it was it was a very big tax so money that should have been coming to Alberta for our resources was being funneled to eastern Canada and mm -hmm. so it was that that export tax on oil was it was a very big issue in the 1970s and in, in 1974 you know P premier peter lahey pointed out just in 1974 that the export tax on oil was costing Alberta between $800 to $1000 for every citizen of Alberta every year like eight hundred to a thousand dollars—that's a lot of money. There, there wasn't as many people in Alberta at that time, but that's still—that's a lot of money. Then, of course, also Pierre Trudeau mandated a lower price on oil within Canada. So, so when we sold our oil to the United States, the federal government would skim off a whole bunch of that money, and when we sold it within Canada, we had to sell it at like somewhere near half the world price, or maybe a bit more than that. So. Regardless of where we sold our oil, we were getting ripped off, you know, and Central Canada for the benefit of Central Canada. So Pierre Trudeau, or sorry, Peter Lougheed, our premier, was fighting Trudeau throughout the 70s over those kinds of things, you know, trying to get a better deal for Alberta. But, you know, there's only so much he could do. Then in 1979, there was an election where the Pierre Trudeau lost and he, he lost to Joe Clark. Mm -hmm. uh, Joe Clark was leader of progressive conservatives. He, it was just a minority government. Like it's, that government in and of itself is not important. But what is important is when Joe Clark's government, minority government fell, there was another federal election for February of 1980. And, and uh, Pierre Trudeau decided to come back to make a comeback yeah. uh, running as a liberal leader. And, and this election campaign is very important because they, the liberals and Pierre Trudeau consciously decided to, to run a divisive anti-Western campaign as a way of getting back into power. You know, they're saying Alberta is a troublemaker with, you know, they're wanting their 
They want to benefit more from their oil resources. They're the troublemakers. You put us back in power and we'll take care of Alberta, you know. And so mm -hmm. they, they won a large majority government, you know, on that basis, essentially. And so right after that, they brought in the natural, National Energy Program, which was just a horrendous policy against Alberta, you know, to expand government control of, of the oil industry. Um, some of their justifications were that it was to Canadianize the industry, like many of the companies in, in the oil industry were American companies. Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, the... Liberals didn't like that, and they wanted to have more government, you know, Canadian government control, Canadianization. They also said that they could have a uh, direct um, our oil industry more towards self-sufficiency for Canada. Well, those were their public justifications. Yeah. But a few years later, after they were out of government, the energy minister of that time, who was Mark Lalonde, he admitted publicly after they lost power that those were not the real justifications. Their real justification was to take money away from Alberta and to get it to the federal government. I mean, it was, that's what people thought, but they were saying, no, no, we've got these other uh, reasons for it. But, you know, anyway, it was, it was, it was a very terrible thing for Alberta. You know, uh, thousands of jobs were lost, you know, businesses closed down, yeah. homes were foreclosed. It was just a, tor a ter horrible time. And I'm, I'm not sure if you've met people, but I've met people who can tell me back in those days, what happened to their families, how they lost yes. homes and jobs yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. Exactly. There were still people. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it was that bad, you know, and people haven't forgotten it. Yeah. So, so anyway, to make a long story short, you know, uh, Trudeau ended up resigning and uh, there was an election in September, 1984, where, where Brian Mulroney's conservatives won. Yeah. And, you know, all of the Alberta MPs were conservatives and, you know, Brian Mulroney, you know, he, he was supposed to be, you know, not as socialistic as Trudeau. We thought, okay, everything's going to be okay. But even Mulroney, you know, he was an MP from Quebec, and many of his MPs were from Quebec. And so, in, in nineteen, or sorry, in, yeah, nineteen eighty-six, uh, um, Canada needed to get uh, Canada needed to have a, a maintenance contract for its CF eighteen fighters. Like Canada had recently bought the CF eighteen fighters, they need to be maintained somewhere. And there was only two cities with the facilities: Winnipeg and Montreal. Yeah. So the federal government held a competition to see which of these two companies, the one in Winnipeg or the one in Montreal, would be the best, you know, for maintaining the fighters. And based on the government's own criteria, the company in Winnipeg was the best company to do it. So Winnipeg should get it. Well, yeah. sure enough, they didn't. They gave the contract to Montreal, even though Winnipeg had won, because yeah. uh, that would get them more votes in Quebec, right? So, yeah. so the, I, I grew up in Winnipeg, and I oh. remember when that happened, and that was oh. from page news and the yeah. free press, like for for what I remember was months. And it was a hot topic because there were supposed to be jobs coming in. Was that was that through Bristol? I think that was yeah, that's right, Bristol Aerospace. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I had a buddy that uh, his dad used to. Well, he worked there. He was an estimator or something like that. And uh, and I remember going over to his house and uh, and his dad would just be yelling in the in the kitchen about you know how much the the government sucked back then, and oh, if we only knew now, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's neat. You're the first person I've met, uh, you know, that remembers that from when from Manitoba. I do, I do, and and yeah. actually, just because uh, that was that would have been about '84, right? Somewhere it was '86, 1986. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then, just a couple of years after that, uh, my brother and I uh, were DJs back then, and we would actually work at the uh, Canadian Force Base Westwind, uh, which is basically Winnipeg, and uh, and it was the same sort of conversation that we would have then, is that uh, with uh, like the officers you know, where do you, where do you re get your planes maintained and maintained and all that? Well, actually for the most part, it was not done in Winnipeg. They oh. ended up shipping them out and, uh, and I forget exactly the story with that, but yeah, like it, it, Winnipeg totally got screwed. So it was, you know, it was even back then the West was just alienated. Right? Yeah. 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 And the funny thing was, you know, even though that was a Manitoba Winnipeg thing, yeah. 
fight. Like I was living in Calgary and it was really a big thing in Calgary too. I mean, that's yeah. where, you know, Preston Manning and everything was like, people yeah. were really, really angry. Like this wasn't, this was done to us, like the West, you know, mm -hmm. not just to Winnipeg and Manitoba. And so, you know, and that's actually, that was the, probably the biggest, biggest single factor in the creation of the reform party. You yeah. know, Preston Manning had had the idea previously, I think of having a Western party, but, but he knew that there had to be some kind of instigating event, you know, to bring people together. And that essentially was that instigating event. And, and remember, I remember like it wasn't long after that, that they started holding their meetings, you know, for forming first with the reformers reform association yeah. and then founding the reform party. And yeah. so that, that, you know, it was really was on the back of that CF 18 issue, but, but Alberta, you know, was always the key province. I mean, there was, a lot of support in Manitoba and Saskatchewan and even BC, yeah. but Alberta yeah. was always kind of the headquarters for that. So the, yeah. yeah, the reform party really began to take off in the late 1980s. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Westerners just knew something needed to be done. Yeah. And, and so we did, you know, in, in 1993, um, almost all of Alberta's MPs, not everyone, but most of them were reform party in that, in the 1993 election. Also yeah. lots from Saskatchewan and, and BC. I can't remember if Manitoba did too many in, in 93 they did in 97 of like the next election that Manitoba sent more but this was our western party and we like this party was formed with the purpose you know that their slogan was the west wants in you know mm -hmm. what i mean it was not a separatist uh, movement at all it was like look we just want what's ours we just want a voice in the national discussion you know what i mean like yeah. we're left out like yeah. let us in if we have it if we have a voice too maybe these decisions won't go against us every time maybe we'll get to say something and you know maybe we can win sometimes and not lose every time yeah. Yeah. so we sent you know in 93 and 97 overwhelming like overwhelmingly from alberta and from many of the other western provinces we sent reform party mps to ottawa to, to get us in like uh, another one of their major programs was what was called the triple e senate that'd mm -hmm. be a senate that would be elected with yeah. equal number of senators from each province and would have effective powers. Because, uh, you know, many people um, in Alberta and, and, and the other Western provinces thought if we had a Tripoli Senate where each of the provinces were represented equally and, and we had this power and they were elected, you know, the, the government would not be able to push through policies like what happened with the CF-18 fighter jet maintenance contract or the National Energy Program. We'd have enough senators to block those kind of policies, you know. Yeah. So yeah. so that was a big thing. But again, you know, people in Eastern Canada are, are not interested in the Tripoli Senate because it takes away power from them. <laughs> you know, they, they like the way the current system works because they have all the power, right? So it, yeah. it's pretty hard to go to someone who's got all the power and say, you know, give me some of that power. They're like, who would say well, yes, you know what I mean? Yeah. But the, but the Reform Party was the big, biggest single effort by the West to change the system to make things work for us too. You know what I mean? It wasn't that we were trying to take everything over. We just wanted our voice in there. And Eastern Canada said, no, you know, we, we, no. And and when you look at how much effort, how many, you know, think of all the thousands of Westerners or tens of thousands of Westerners who, who gave donations to the party and, and campaigned for the party and worked for the party over like a period of 10 years. Yeah. And still, no, no, we don't want you. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so my, ultimately what my conclusion would be like in the talk I was giving last year, if that level of effort by Westerners will not fix the system, then it cannot be done. Like we've tried to fix the system. Yeah. I mean, yeah. this is the, that's the biggest one. There's other smaller efforts and stuff, yeah. but I'm just want to focus on what's really this big yeah. thing. Nobody can tell me that, oh, let, we can do better than the reform party. Like, are you kidding me? You know, if, if you live through that period of time and, yeah. and all the effort and stuff that went in there, how could we mobilize that amount of effort again? You know what I mean? That's right. I, I just don't and, see how it could be done. And they were from, uh, from Calgary, essentially, right? So we had Joe Clark, who was the prime minister. Now, granted, minority government didn't last that long. Uh, and, um, and of course, Preston Manning with the Reform Party. So he has the voice of the West. And again, we had Brian Mulrooney, um, who was uh, from Quebec, but essentially a, a PC uh, conservative. And, um, and even with all that, we still can't get anything good out for the West. 
That's and, right. Yeah. You know, we we've had the conversation. I should show up some slides if I if I can find them very quickly. Just in terms of uh, what election was that like in uh, uh, 2010 or whatever it was, in which there was the federal election and all all the West is blue, absolutely all West is blue, and then you get a sprinkling of uh, red liberals in um, in uh, in and around Montreal and in and around Toronto, and guess what? The liberals get in because that's where the majority of the votes happen. That's where the majority of the population is. And they just totally forget about what's happening out West. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, that kind of picture where the West is blue and Toronto yeah. and Montreal are red and they win, that's basically the 2019 election and the 2021 election. You well, know what I mean? I'm going to look for that. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but, but most, I mean, if you look at the last, I don't know, since, uh, since the reform party folded into the Canadian Alliance and the conservative party, so that was in 2003. So from the 2004 election onwards, uh, probably the West is always blue. And then before yeah. that it's, it's, it's Canadian Alliance. Before that it's the reform party. Of course, the Canadian Alliance was basically just a version of the reform party. And before yeah. that it was blue again, like the West has been blue. Actually uh, it was Diefenbaker made up the West blue in late fifties. So, <laughs> so one form or another, we've had conservatives, but, but, but yeah, um, you know, even Mulroney, which we thought would be our savior, he didn't work. And then, you know, Stephen Harper, I just got to give him uh, you know, he, he did, have a better government for the West than some of the other people. Yeah. But he didn't make any of the fundamental changes that we needed. So, yeah. so, so once Harper was gone, we're back to square one, you know, with, with Justin Trudeau. So, so the Harper years are better for the West, relatively speaking. Yeah. Uh, but they're, but still none of the fundamental changes that could have, you know, prevented problems for the future uh, were done. Not that he didn't try. I mean, he, he did try some Senate reform, but uh, that was blocked by the Supreme court. So, yeah. Um, but I just I just want to give some credit for Stephen Harper. I'm not saying that he fixed the problem. I'm just saying that, you know, he did what he could within the system. I mean, the problem isn't um, a particular person. The problem ultimately is the system. You know, we have a system where um, Ontario and Quebec can elect a federal government between those two provinces. Right. And so uh, the people we vote for, you know, have are, end up in opposition and um, can't you know, influence the policies the way we want. So yes. it's, 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 it's a structure of the system. You know, there's, the, I don't see how we can get any, well, you know, the way Canada is structured, it should be more of a federal system where the provinces have more power. You'd think, you know, we, we own and control our resources. We should be able to develop them and export them without yeah. being interfered with federal government. But, yeah. but the federal government is interfering, you know, with, with the, like the no more pipelines bill yeah. and, and the Alberta tanker ban and the carbon tax. These are ways in which the federal government is, is kind of subverting the constitution. Like they're not directly attacking the constitutional rights of Alberta, but they go around the constitution and they bring in policies that essentially prevent Alberta from, uh, you know, act, um, exercising its, its uh, provincial rights and responsibilities. So right, federal yeah. government, one way or another, federal government, one way or another is able to block us. And they, in a real federal system, they wouldn't be able to block us. We'd be able to do, you know, export our products without them blocking us kind of thing. So, yeah. so it, and I mean, and the Supreme Court, of course, has upheld uh, Trudeau's carbon tax. So that means, and, and that, again, you know, that's a violation of um, certainly the, one of the um, dissenting judges in that decision, uh, um, Russell Brown, he said openly that that decision, you know, was, you know, circumventing the province's um, jurisdictions. And so um, we know that the, we'd have some sympathizers on the Supreme Court, but not very many. Um, but they do point out how the federal policies are undermining our constitutional rights. So, but we can't trust the, the Supreme Court's not going to defend our constitutional rights. And I mean, if they did, that'd be different, but they can't, or they won't. I should say they won't. They could, but they won't. But we, so we need to get out if we want to be able to develop our own resources and have our own freedoms. So. Well, that that's all good. <laughs> all good information to know. Um, 
I'm not sure, you know, there, there's there's so much to talk about in this topic, but obviously something has just happened in the last day or two that has really struck a nerve with why we wanted to do this uh, this live tonight in, in terms of uh, uh, independence and uh, what what the hell is really going on in, in Canada. I'm going to bring this up just because it's, uh, it's such a good thing. So we had... Uh, federal justice minister, he basically said that he was going to rescind the 1930s natural resource transfer agreement with the provinces. And uh, according to this, it says this would pose an unprecedented risk to national unity and Alberta condemns this federal threat, blah, blah, blah. And that uh, that's what was put forth by our premier, Daniel Smith. And then we had uh, Dr. Jordan, Jordan B. Peterson reply back, reject, rebel, separate if necessary right so do you want to do you like do you know anything about what actually is in the 1930 natural resources transfer agreement like i, I don't know too much detail but basically yeah. see that the prairie provinces when they were formed they were not formed as first class provinces like they didn't have the same rights as other provinces because the natural resources uh yeah, we're controlled by the federal government, which was different. Like the other provinces only controlled their own natural resources. The prairie yeah. provinces didn't. Now, there are some reasons for that. One is that, um, like, as I mentioned, the prairie provinces essentially had been Rupert's land. And Rupert's land was purchased by the government of Canada. So that so they had to borrow a bunch of money to do that. So it was the taxpayers of Eastern Canada who actually purchased the land. Now, Ontario and Quebec... Um, uh, benefited directly from that because some of the Rupert's land was given to Quebec, that's Northern Quebec. Some yes. of Rupert's land was given to Ontario, that's Northern Ontario. But see, the, the maritime provinces, they helped pay for it, but they didn't get any land out of it. So the maritime provinces actually didn't, they, the maritime provinces wanted the federal government to maintain control so that some of that income, the, the maritimes would benefit from some of the money that they felt that they had, like they, they felt they helped pay for the land. So yeah. they wanted they wanted something out of it, right? They okay. weren't getting territory. Yeah. So that was one of the reasons why it took a lot bit longer. Also too, the federal government was, you know, was settling the prairies like they brought in right the um pioneers to pioneer and settle land and create farms and built they were the train, afraid built the train system i guess yeah the federal government put the trains out there but the federal government felt that they were concerned that if the provinces owned and controlled the resources that they would be able to inhibit some of the settlers coming in like they were concerned of the the first settlers getting in and saying we're, we're closed now forget it you know we don't want any more people in here anyway so the federal government felt they needed control so that they could fully settle the west so there were some you know you could understand why they would feel it wasn't just a, a malicious avaristic kind of perspective of re, you know getting the money they they saw thought they had reasons for this but anyway you know certainly by 1930 those reasons were not valid anymore and so so that the natural resources were transferred to the prairie provinces so that the prairie provinces would be equal with the other provinces so but but now you know with the, with the constitution um the constitution gives each of the provinces their ownership and control of natural resources so i you know i i don't think i don't see any way that that could be rescinded i mean yeah. uh, Justice Minister Lametti kind of brought it up kind of a, he said he would take a look at it, but you, but it is, you know, that's it, kind of a careless comment for him to make. And it's, yeah. it's, his, it's his fault that this got started. You know, <laughs> he could have said something different and not got this going, wow. but I mean, one of the, so, so I don't think that anything's actually going to transpire from that in particular, yeah. but, yeah. but what's really interesting about this is Jordan Peterson, because, you yeah. know, Jordan Peterson, I mean, he's originally from Alberta. That's yeah. one reason to be yeah. proud of him. He's a great guy. Yeah. He's, he's one of the major public intellectuals in the world, perhaps the most public intellectual in the world, and certainly in the English speaking world. And yeah. here he is giving legitimacy to the idea of Alberta becoming independent, you know, reject, yeah. rebel, separate if necessary. So you'll have, you know, hundreds of like 250,000 people saw that tweet 
from yeah. the picture you got there, yeah. like a quarter million people, most of those people would not be in Canada. They're hearing for the first time, you know, mm -hmm. someone with credibility saying, maybe Alberta should become independent. You know what I mean? So this gives uh, the idea of Alberta independence considerable credibility in areas where people had never thought of this or considered this before. Yeah. Yeah. Now, for me personally, the only way I would amend that was take off if necessary. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, he's a very prominent person and he can only say so much. And uh, that's right. Just just that. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be good enough for me, for sure. But I mean, I just, yeah, we, you know, when I realized the significance of that, it was uh, actually it was Walter who pointed that out, how significant that is with someone with such standing and such respect. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't think the idea of Alberta independence has ever received that degree of, of um, you know, credibility from that yeah. stature. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so so in and of itself, even though the, you know, Lametti's comments and what comes of it will probably not amount to anything. This mm -hmm. is very significant that, that the idea itself is being spread by someone who's very significant very respected, you know, with a huge audience of millions of people around the world. So, this, so, th so I think Jordan Peterson's tweet is very significant and, and great for our cause. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I was actually quite shocked that he even made a comment on it. Never because a lot a lot of times, you know, people will just kind of skirt the issue or they they don't really want to jump into it. But uh, so uh, Jordan Peterson was here at a talk in. Uh, I believe it was in Edmonton, wasn't it? Or was it in Calgary? Like not long ago. And I know we had uh, a few uh, few people go out and take uh, and, and listen to it. And uh, again, he talks about a whole wide range of, of topics. And and only after the show and people got to go and talk to him in the back did the did was the was the idea or the uh, uh, the idea proposed that a lot of these issues that deal with uh, uh, the, the federal government and with the world government, if you want to call it that, and all of these issues go away if we become our own sovereign nation, right? Or at least become yeah. independent. In, and again, depending on how you want to do it within within Canada or, or totally separate, um, you know, we could we could definitely talk about that. And I know APP APP basically says. Um, you know, that basically it is, um, I'll read it again. Our purpose is to educate, inspire, and unite all Albertans, businesses, and organizations to protect the prosperity, individual freedoms, rights, and sovereignty by empowering the Alberta government to restructure Alberta's relationship with Canada. And shy of not being able to do that, what other option do we have? Right? Yeah, so, yeah, we, we need more control. Yes, absolutely. Um, do you want to talk any more about the history stuff? Like, uh, sure, which, sure. Which Actually, there, there's yeah, something I, like something I forgot. Well, I mean, yeah. something that I brought into the new talk. Like, this is one of the things okay. that's new, you know. Um, and that had to do with like there's a there's a woman named Dr. Ruth Gorman, and I I, I doubt that very many people have ever heard of her, but no. she was one of the most prominent people in in Alberta in the in the 20th century. Like Dr. Ruth Gorman was one of the first female lawyers in Alberta, and she yeah. was a civil rights lawyer, and she became most well known. Uh, working for uh, First Nations people on their behalf, on their behalf, and she was one. She was very instrumental in what was called the Indian vote, like getting Indians the right to vote in 1960 because they didn't yeah. have the right to vote for that. So that was one of her main campaigns. So she was a civil rights lawyer. Um, she got an honorary doctorate from the University of Calgary in 1966, and in 1967, which was Cal Canada's centennial year, she was awarded the title Alberta's Woman of the Century. Like she wasn't wow. Alberta's Woman of the Year. She was yeah. more awarded Alberta's Woman of the Century because she was wow. so prominent and so well known. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is when when one of the things that Trudeau did that I didn't mention, 
I mean, he also, besides attacking Alberta, he also, of course, repatriated and changed the Constitution and added the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Mm -hmm. And that was actually occurring around the same time as the National Energy Program. But Dr. Ruth Gorman, her main issue was op in opposition to Trudeau's Charter of Rights. And her, the main reason for that was the Charter did not contain property rights. Like the... Uh, yes. Yeah. This, this is, and this is very, very significant for the movement at that time. Like the, the main independence party at that time was called the Western Canada Concept Party of Alberta. And Ruth Gorman was one of the founders of that party. Yeah. Um, she wrote its constitution and did much of its legal work. That's how important it was to her. She helped found that party because she was so opposed to the Charter of Rights. She figured, you know, that by by leaving property rights out of the Charter, that was diminishing our rights, you know, as individuals. And, and, and in the context of the National Energy Program, which was happening at the same time, she really thought that that was left out so that the federal government could take more of our stuff, you know, take more of our property away. Mm -hmm. But she was, so she traveled the province speaking against the Charter and writing, you know, columns for like the Calgary Herald and the Edmonton Journal and other papers saying, you know, we've got to stop Pierre Trudeau's Charter because he's taking away our, our real rights and freedoms. And you know, I, Many Canadians and many Albertans forget, you know, there was a strong opposition to the Charter. You know, the Charter, you know, it's very popular now. And, and it, there was enough popularity at the time for Trudeau to get it through. But Trudeau first proposed, proposed it in 1968. And throughout the 70s, there was considerable opposition to it and he couldn't get it through. And, and this is one of the things that makes the 1980 election so significant. You know, if Pierre Trudeau had lost the 1980 election, we would not have had the National Energy Program That's and we right. would not have the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So... I just throw that in there, you know, to point out, you know, elections are important. Elections have yeah. consequences. <laughs> they can have long-term consequences, uh, consequences in this, in the context of this, you know, this 1980 election yeah. that brought us both the National Energy Program and the Charter of Rights. But one of the main opponents of, of the Charter, just to throw this in, was was Manitoba Premier Sterling Lyon. Like yeah. he was a real small C conservative. Um, he could only do so much, though. Um, you know, he was with the gang of eight pro uh, provinces that were, you know, opposed to the Charter for most of the time. Anyway, I just wanted to th put in that in, mm. put that note in for him because. He's someone who deserves to be remembered for opposing uh, Pierre Trudeau's charter, as, as some of the others did to one degree or another. But uh, but I wanted to put Ruth Gorman in there because she deserves you know credit for the work that she did you know in the movement at that time and traveling and speaking and you know at that time she was quite prominent. But she you know she obviously she's passed passed on and everything, and so people don't remember her and remember yeah. what she did anymore. Yeah. Um, and and to again to remember to remind people that there has been historically lots of opposition to the charter in earlier years from people on the right side of the spectrum from conservative minded people who are concerned about property rights like that was the number one thing if you have a document a constitutional document that does not contain property rights it signals to the judges that the document does not restrict the government's uh, powers as much as it should have like historically in the Anglo-American tradition uh, like in the words of uh, philosopher John Locke you're supposed to protect life liberty and property that's what a constitution should do protect life liberty and property and yeah. the Canadian constitution diver diverged from that historical tradition by not protecting property thus signaling that it doesn't protect people the way that his other historical constitutions have yeah. so you know that's part of the history that should be added in there <laughs> so our so having said that it's technically not in the charter right now right and it's so like is is that uh, uh is that our our achilles heel that could actually come in and, uh, and and hurt us because it's like, certainly certainly see i mean we've talked about undrip and uh some of those scenarios and uh and how they're trying to uh basically take away our land or take away our property in in certain ways maybe guns and who knows what else maybe cars next and so but it would actually having that in in our charter would that have helped yes uh, you know i never thought of it in the context of undrip or those kinds yeah. of things yeah. but you're right i mean we do have a certain degree of property rights mm -hmm. we just don't have constitutionally guaranteed property rights so our property rights 
um, they exist to a certain degree, but they're not as strong as the other rights that are in the charter. So if the property rights had been in the charter, yeah. um, then we would have much stronger defenses against the kinds of things you talked about. So that, yeah. it, you know, it, it does make a difference. It, it could make a difference in some of these cases at some yeah. point. Do you know if there's any way to actually uh, to put constitutional uh, challenge or put something back into the constitution if we wanted to do that? Do you know what the process would be for that? Because I'm just thinking again, we're 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 looking at it as can we use any leverage in in uh, in Alberta? Can we possibly say, look, we'll stay in Canada if you can make these changes, right? Yeah, like I mean, property rights could be put in, but again, it's a it's a constitutional amendment, so that means you have to have at least seven provinces representing at least 50% of the population. Yeah. You know, And the thing is that some of the provinces uh, were happy not to have property rights in because the provinces, you know, like the premiers, they're governments too, right? And they might want to take away pro people's property. And, and especially yeah. like when you have an NDP government, right? So yeah. so, so it's, um, it's not obvious that the premiers would necessarily support that. So it wouldn't necessarily be easy to get seven uh, provinces on board, if you know what I mean. That's right. Uh, so, so theoretically it could be done. Yeah. Uh, but but practically, it's very difficult to see how it could be. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but so I just tell people, you know, if we became independent as a province, we could write our own constitution and we could avoid that. Problem. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. No, you're right. And and then and then we can go through all this. And I believe uh, APP has kind of drafted something up on their website. I'd have to really hunt it down. But I I know they've uh, they've definitely put in policies where uh, a new government if they were elected and uh, they were independence minded that they should adopt some of these policies and they talk about um you know what 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 an ideal constitution would look like or at least what those parts would be in there right um do you want to talk anything more i'm i'm kind of looking through some of these these questions on here and i i know a lot of them will will probably address when we have our next guest come on with us but uh um, let me just see if there's something that's, uh, that's kind of glaring right now. Um, uh, well, here's one, and this is kind of, kind of what everybody has in the back of the mind. What do you believe is holding people back from moving toward on sovereignty or independence? How bad do things have to get? My parents lost their house. Yeah, well, see, one of the things that's holding people back for sure is that there is still an attachment to Canada. Like, you know, and, and that's understandable. Like, you know what? I, I'm willing to say there's no question that Canada has been a great country, you know, in many respects. It's in the history of the world. It's one of the freest, you know, yeah. one of the most prosperous, one yeah. of the best countries in history. And I and I think that changed with Pierre Trudeau. I think he was the one who put us on the wrong path more than any other factor. I mean, there's other factors, too. But yeah. but people do stu, still do have an attachment to Canada. And when you start to talk about Alberta independence, there is that natural resistance. And you know what? What's kind of ironic and um, is that. A lot of the people who do support independence that I've met, they're actually the most patriotic Canadians. You know what I mean? I've, 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 I've been in a meeting. I've got I've, I've got Canadian flags all over. I've yeah. got you know I I do wear any sports jersey in Canada because that's that's the way I am, right? And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so even having this idea go through my mind of, well, you know, independence solves a lot of issues. Then that would be a good thing to 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 do, right? Yeah. So, so I think that's one of the biggest things. And like I say, that's a completely legitimate thing. I mean, people are supposed to love their country. I mean, you know, Canada has given us many things. And so there is that natural attachment. And that's, that's one of the biggest factors I think that holds people back. And so, as I, as I mentioned, like people like you, that, that the, it's the most patriotic people yeah. who are also involved in the independence movement. You know what I mean? So, so it's not that they really, really want independence. Like that's not the first choice for most people. Yeah. Yeah. Like most people, the first choice was just to make things comfortable for us in Canada so that we can live our lives, develop our resources, 
you know, live the way we're supposed to live and not be interfered with by the federal government. Like that's, that would be the first choice for most people. And so people tend to revert back to that. That's kind of like the default position for most people, right? Yeah. So something will happen and Trudeau will say something or do something that will just provoke people and people will go, you know, now it's time for independence. But that, that feeling uh, of, of, I don't know if it's anger or whatever, that will kind of dissipate over yeah. time yeah. and and and, and they'll, they'll kind of step back from it again. So so we tend to see the independence movement like come in waves, you know, um, especially yeah. especially after say a federal election, like after the 2019 election, then we had huge waves at meetings, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, but, and then COVID came in and those meetings dissipated or whatever, but but generally, you know, it's, it's provocations that lead to the growth of the movement and then it kind of fades back. And, and I, I think the number one thing is that um, people love Canada. Also, there's, there's also the thing of um, some people you know, independence might seem like kind of a radical idea, you know what I mean? And and so that would scare some people away. But I say, I mean, independence, there are some risks to independence. There's no question about that. But there's risks to staying in Canada, too. So yeah. like, there's no there's no course of action that is free of risks. Yeah. It's a matter of which risks are, yeah. you know, are we going to let the federal government shut down our oil industry and we'll end up in poverty? Like that's that's the one side. The other side is we become independent and, uh, you know, try and make things on our own, you know, so. So, but I, the the key thing is though there's no safe alternative you know you, but you got to choose you know what do you think is best for the future of your children if you really want this province to develop economically and thrive and have freedom i really think independence is the way to do that and um uh, so there are people who reason that way and are willing to favor independence of course you know that's what drives the movement but but of course um I, like i mentioned there's there's that feeling of attachment to canada and i you know, and like I say, it's legitimate, you know, you got to love your country, but um, yeah. that holds a lot of people back and, yeah. and it causes the movement to fade, you know, um, from time to time. So I know with, uh, with APP, we do, we do these webinars every Wednesday. I think I've mentioned that. And, uh, and with, with these weekly webinars, we usually have someone come on and, uh, and, and have amazing knowledge on a, a particular topic. Like last week they were talking about uh, banking and, and uh, we've also talked about undripped and we've talked about, uh it, it, like uh, land rights we've talked about actually have we had one about guns yet i i think that's that's on this on slated because again that that deals with property rights um but if if you go back on the um alberta prosperity project if you look on the youtube channel or you go to rumble uh we have all our webinars on there and and to just look at one you'd kind of go, ah, you know what, we can, we can live with it. But when you look at the history of what has gone on and you look at all the issues that we've had, uh, you know, policing uh, and, and, and even comments like this about uh, taking away our natural resources, I think um, it really opens up people's minds. So uh, again, I, I can't say this enough, share. Like if, if you're going to do anything and while watching this, just, Press your share button wherever you're watching it. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Rumble. We're on uh, Facebook. Um, just just share the bejesus at it, and then and hopefully we'll get some people that uh, that are really knowledgeable and and want to to come in and 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 spread the word and, and do stuff with APP. And speaking of knowledgeable, good segue. I'm going to bring our next guest in here because uh, he uh, he texted me earlier and said uh, that he'd like to come on. And uh, especially since we're talking about um, the whole idea of where the independence uh, movement came from and uh, a man who needs no introduction. So I won't give him one. <laughs> this is Dr. Dennis Modry. How are you, Dennis? <laughs> I'm excellent. Uh, I'm excellent. Um, <clears throat> yeah, great to see you, Carrie. You always yes, do a great job on these webinars. and. Thanks. 
Michael, you and I have given many presentations together and I enjoyed your comments tonight. Thank you. Um, but I do have a few comments. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of them is I wouldn't be too sanguine about uh, David Lametti's uh, comments about rescinding the Natural Resources mm. uh, Act. This federal government, I don't think, is um, um, above doing anything uh, to compromise Alberta. Yeah. You know, you touched on the national energy policy earlier, Michael, and uh, and you rightly pointed out that the real purpose of it was to prevent Alberta from becoming the center of economic power in Canada. It was also used to buy Quebec's loyalty to Canada with Al Alberta's wealth. Mm -hmm. But getting back to David Lametti, remember what he said not too long ago? He said, Canadian citizens don't have the right to own property. Hmm. Do you remember he said that? And, um, and you know, when you, when you think about it um, and you go back to, because you touched on the charter. Yeah. Well, Section 1 of the charter is, is one of the fundamental problems that we have with the Constitution. And for those people who don't remember what it is, it states charters right, charter rights can be limited by law so long as those limits can be shown to be reasonable in a free and democratic society. So it's, that means the federal government can determine what is reasonable. And I'm pretty sure that everybody on this call doesn't believe that the federal government ever does anything that's reasonable, particularly with respect to Western Canada. Um, now, let's look at some evidence here uh, with respect to what the federal government can do. So you'll recall um, the carbon tax. So um, the Alberta Court of Appeal ruled that the carbon tax was unconstitutional, right? Yeah. So what did, the, what did the federal government do? They went to, uh, and appealed it to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court ruled it was constitutional. Why? Because the federal government wrapped the argument around climate change, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. So now the, the federal government, it won't be beneath them to wrap themselves around um, what's coming next, which is the Impact Assessment Act. Um, that is now before the Supreme Court. And that, and that Impact Assessment Act, of course, uh, really relates to Bill 69, Bill C-69, no more, no more uh, pipeline uh, development. Uh, but the, um, the, um, uh, the child of that as well is also the uh, Bill C-48, the tanker ban. So it, it's all connected. And so it'll be interesting to see how the Supreme Court rules on this. But my sense is, is they will wrap themselves around the climate argument once again and state that the, that the Impact Assessment Act is legitimate and valid and therefore it will, it will carry on. It's not much of a step to go from there to then say, we, we the Canadian government, the Liberal government, the Trudeau government, the Trudeau communist government, um, uh, must take control and get rid of um, the Natural Resources Transfer Act from 1930. Why? Because of the importance of climate change. So I wouldn't be too yeah. sanguine about the fact that it's not going to occur. But what's important here is to understand that this 
we, I think we've already crossed a red line, but there's a very thick, very bright red line if the federal government tries to do that. And I think that, that um, Jordan Peterson um, has, the right, has the right answer, yeah. minus the couple of words at the end, as you said, Michael. Um, <laughs> and that is, that is the issue of Alberta independence and Alberta sovereignty. And I think it's worthwhile for your, for your listeners to understand that there's a, an efficient, legal, pragmatic pathway out. And Michael, you're right that um, the appetite for Alberta independence, Alberta sovereignty has waxed and waned uh, over the years. So what's going to compel Albertans to actually embrace it in an escalating fashion rather than an up and down uh, Mickey Mouse kind of approach to it? I think uh, personally that, you know, um, the abridgment of your freedoms and rights um, is one thing. The, the abridgment of the very foundation of democracy, which is free speech, is yet another thing. And that's what we're facing with Bill C-11 and Bill C-18. Yes. Um, and of course, property rights are embodied in the, in the firearms confiscation legislation as well. And again, we shouldn't be too sanguine about the, what the provincial government in Alberta and in Saskatchewan have done with respect to their own legislation. Because what the federal government does when they're not happy with a provincial government that does not follow provincial dictates or federal, or I mean federal dictates and federal law, is they withhold transfer payments. Mm -hmm. And so, so this is a very significant concern that for 118 years, the way confederation is constructed is no provincial government has ever had, Alberta provincial government has ever had the, the power uh, to negotiate with Ottawa from a position of strength. And so this imbalance of power persists. And what we've seen over our lifetime, uh, Michael, you and I are closer to age, Carrie's younger. Um, <laughs> I just look younger. <laughs> what we've seen is, is a progressive encroachment yeah. by the federal government of provincial constitutional authority. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's going to end. I think it's going to continue. And we have to be cognizant that there's no guarantee that the prevent that the federal conservative party is going to be reelected in the next election. In fact, they're not even leading in the polls yeah. in some of the polls. So what actually can we do? Well, you know, this whole concept of Alberta independence, when you look at the polls for the last four years, you'll see that the polls and this speaks exactly to your point, Michael, over the past four years, when you conduct a poll in Alberta about the appetite for Alberta independence, that appetite has ranged from 20 to 50%, depending on the timing and where the poll was conducted. Yeah. But one of the more relevant ones that I like to refer to is that February the 4th, 2022 Angus Reid survey in which uh, across the country, the question that was posed, are you disillusioned with the federal government? Yeah. And in Alberta, 73% of Albertans were disillusioned with the federal government. In Saskatchewan, it was even higher at 76%. So what does that mean, really? Well, when you drill down on the 73%, you find that 33% want out, but 40% want a better deal. Yeah. 
mm -hmm. confederation. So when you pose the question, what does Alberta independence mean to you? <clears throat> For some people, it means Alberta stays in Canada, but with complete control of its wealth and affairs. For other people, it's Alberta stays in Canada with some control of its wealth and affairs. For other people, it's Alberta leaves and joins the U.S. For other people, it's Alberta leaves Canada and becomes an independent sovereign constitutional republic. And that, yet again, Alberta leaves Canada with some or all of the other provinces and territories in the West and forms a new nation. Yeah. So <clears throat> when we did a poll internally uh, with APP, we found that Alberta 51 and Alberta remaining in Canada, but with just some control of its wealth and affairs finished dead last. But the other three were within the margin of error of one or 2%. So what does that really mean? Well, what it really means is that if you wanna to get to a successful referendum on independence, then you have to have all of these paradigms aligned with supporting a referendum on independence. Yeah. And ostensibly, 73%, if, the, if, if it stuck exactly to that poll, 73% of Albertans would vote in favor of Alberta independence, as long as they understood that a vote for independence doesn't necessarily mean that Alberta leaves Canada. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the important conundrums that we have trying to educate the public. Because when you talk about Alberta independence, and you touched on this earlier, Michael, many people think very patriotically they love Canada. There's no way they're going to vote for independence. Yet they hate the federal government. They hate what's what's being done. So you need to convince those people um, and point out to them in the Clarity Act, the fourth paragraph of the Clarity Act, um, which is triggered when you have a successful referendum on Alberta independence, as you know, it triggers the Clarity Act, uh, provided, of course, that it, 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 it uh, achieves the hurdles within the Clarity Act, of course. Um, but the fourth paragraph, and the Clarity Act really just forces negotiations. That's what it is. It's a tool. I've used this analogy before. If you want to open a can of soup, you need a tool. Mm -hmm. and that tool is a can opener. If you want to open and change the Constitution, there are five hurdles to change the Constitution, which make it impossible. But there is a tool that will open and change the Constitution, yeah. the Constitution and that's a, su a successful referendum on secession. But the fourth paragraph is important for the people who don't want Alberta to leave Canada to understand. The last line of the fourth paragraph of the preamble states that secession might, I'm sorry, um, um, negotiations might lead to secession. That's right. It doesn't mean that they will. It yeah. might mean that Alberta gets everything that it wants. So you can imagine if the provincial government, whatever government it is, is empowered yeah. with a successful referendum on secession, they now go to Ottawa and legally the provinces and the federal government have to negotiate with Alberta. And Alberta says, these are all the things that we want. We either get them after a period of say eight or 12 months of negotiations, mm -hmm. or we have the moral and legal authority uh, to leave yeah. um, legally. And um, and really, that's the that's the legal pragmatic way to do it. But how do you get there? Yeah. Well, there's two ways to get there. The provincial government itself, if assuming that the UCP and by the way, we are in an existential threat 
to our very way of life and to our future. If the NDP get in in this next election, they will pass legislation. They've already said that they would do this. Rachel Notley said she would pass legislation to ever to prevent there ever being a referendum on Alberta secession. Wow. Okay. So yeah. so if you want to be really hamstrung, um, you know, vote for the NDP. If you if you if you and I hope nobody on this call <laughs> thinks that I'm advocating for voting for the NDP. I'm voting, I'm suggesting that you do not vote for the NDP because we want to have this secession referendum. But let's just, there's two ways to get to a secession referendum. The provincial government itself, and I'm going to make an assumption that it'll be the UCP uh, subsequent to May 29th. Daniel Smith and the UCP could call for a secession referendum for a number of different reasons. One of them being, for example, um, the, the Impact Assessment Act going against us, the Supreme Court ruling against us. Another could be um, what David Lametti uh, mused about uh, getting rid of um, the um, Natural Resources Transfer Act. Um, these would be red lines that should not be crossed that Danielle could, uh, and the UCP government could ask for that referendum. Yeah. On the other side of the coin, it's always been in our power as voters to get there as well. And, um, and you touched on this, Carrie, earlier with respect to um, the Alberta voters yeah. supporting a petition uh, to demand or to obtain a referendum on Alberta secession. Yeah. So right now it's 20% of the uh, voting public, which is just over 600,000 uh, signatories. As you pointed out, Michael, they have to be collected in 90 days. Um, I think you pointed it out. Well, that's an impossible task to get 600,000 signatories um, on a petition uh, to compel a referendum on Alberta secession. And so when you're when you're saying the actual signatures, you are talking about physical signatures, right? right? Not just the. I'm talking about the contact information, but but for the petition, yeah. yes. you need the the signatures and you need the contact information. Yeah. So the way we figured out as part of APP to get around that yeah. was let's get the message out that we need to collect the contact information for over 600,000 people in Alberta. Yeah. Once collected, then um, Jeff Rath, who's a constitutional lawyer, has already drafted the petition. So let's make an assumption that by 2025 or 2026 or maybe 2027, um, that we have over 600,000. Let's say we've got 800,000 signatories. Yeah. I'm sorry, we've got the contact information of 800,000 people. Jeff Rath then takes the petition, goes to Elections Alberta, and Elections Alberta certifies the petition and then um, organizes the canvassers to go out and get the signatories to get 600 plus thousand signatories on the petition. Yeah. Ah, now. It makes it easy yeah. because APP can give to the canvassers the names of all of the people that have agreed to sign the petition. Yeah. They can be collected in 30 days, never mind 90 days, yeah. if you know who the people are already. Yeah. 
So under those circumstances, the uh, petition uh, gets um, signed by the uh, sufficient number of signatories. Um, it goes to Elections Alberta for certification. And then the provincial government must hold a referendum on secession. And yeah. do you not think that the provincial government wants to be empowered that way? Mm -hmm. You bet they do. Yeah. But you know something? Government MLAs, politicians, sometimes significantly lose their courage once they are in, in uh, office because they're there and the sense is, let's not rock the boat. And that's part of the problem that why we don't see anything happening. So it's easier for any provincial government to be empowered by the voters demanding that that petition and that referendum rather than the provincial government themselves asking the population for that for support for the uh, secession referendum. Yeah. But realistically, it could occur either in either circumstance, depending on what the federal government does to us. And the message and the education that people like Michael and, and others, myself included, and APP, TBOF, TBA, Alberta Free Inc., all of these different freedom groups, um, you know, the education, getting the message out there. Um, and, and, you know, part of the process is getting all of these organizations aligned. Let them do the things that they're all doing, but align on one thing, the necessity to empower the provincial government consequent to a successful referendum on secession. Mm -hmm. We don't know what the outcome will be of those negotiations, but it sure will be a whole lot better than the dilemma that we're facing now. So, you know, there's my, uh, there's my summary. So Michael, you do a great job of giving the history Here's, here's a little bit of hope for everybody that there's actually a solution that bloody well can work. And it, it, it just needs to be executed. And uh, it's a big challenge and it's an expensive challenge to get the messaging out with the marketing and advertising and, and the uh, content creation, et cetera. So, but it is, it is definitely there. And here it is on the APP website. Uh, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Kerry. Yeah. So basically, we've got uh, about 11,000 signatures, and yeah, we want 600,000. So there have been a couple of questions about how do we sign this petition? Well, this is the way you go and you will call it pre-sign up or, or sign up to in order to do the petition, right? You sign up, you uh, you give yeah. your... Well, you see the way it says there, it says registration yep. your, or register your intention to vote. That's right. So this is just registering your intention. Yep. So intention it, it informs APP... Yeah. that you know the number of people that have signed on yeah and you if know. you can imagine under you know within 90 days of getting this thing signed let's say the rate is dropped i don't know september 1st right well basically we have until christmas ish in order to get this thing done so how do we do that well we've already got your name your address your phone number right that doesn't mean we need a hundred thousand people to go out and go bang on your door we could even call you and say guess what we're going to be at such and such mall on Saturday, come on down and sign it, right? There are different ways that we could do that, but essentially that's that's the way that we could get 600,000 signatures done within. within well, well, actually just a correction there, uh, Kerry, um, Elections Alberta has a process and they select the canvassers to oh, go okay. out. Okay. So, the can so the canvassers have to be given um, 
so you might have a thousand canvassers. Okay. And so, um, so every canvasser has got, um, you know, a certain number of, of um, contact information, certain number of people's contact information, and yep. they can go directly to them in a organized geographically. So we can make it very easy for the canvassers, but okay. it's Elections Alberta that actually controls that. Okay, so that I, I was mistaken on. And here's another question that a few of them have asked. Is there a way to get the requirements for the referendum changed, such as fewer signatures? Because I know, um, Dennis, you were even talking it's with... The it's, the, it's the petition. It's the petition. Okay. It's a, it's, it, the referendum itself yeah. um, has to have a majority of the, uh, a plurality of the voters in Alberta. Okay. So, Conceivably, 50% 50, 50 plus one would do it. Um, that was what Quebec had. Yeah. But I think it's safer to have 65% or greater um, in, in terms of those actually voting in the referendum. Yeah. You know, so. Do we know how many actual voters there are? There's roughly, what, 4.4 million in Alberta? Yeah, there's, three point, there's roughly 3.4 million voters. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So, so you'd need... Uh, you know, well, two. pretty close to two million voters yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very, it's good. very, do it's very doable and it's, and it's the fastest and simplest way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Corey Morgan talks about that in his book, um, the Sovereignist Handbook. I, he's That's probably right. like I, I don't I don't think I mentioned the this idea. Maybe, but he went when Corey was on a couple weeks ago. I think he talked about that. That might be yep. where Eddie. Right. Yeah, his yeah. book um, talks about um, these kinds of issues, and I think he favors changing the legislation to make it easier for these um, citizen initiative. Uh, citizen initiatives kind yeah, of yeah and and you know something that's that's not a bad idea but you got to think of it from the other perspective instead of having fewer number of people on voting on the petition i would almost argue have more because the point is if you have uh, 620,000 signatories on the petition yeah. but you need 2 million um, people voting in the referendum the more people who support the petition, the more people who are likely to support the referendum as well. Yeah. So getting the 600,000, 620,000 or whatever the exact number is, signatories on the petition um, is not um, an impossible task at all. It, it's a little bit more work ahead of time, but APP and Michael, you and others are already doing it. This is why there's already 11,000, yeah. just about 11,000 uh, yeah. people that have signed on. Yeah, yeah. And, and likewise, I know we, uh, we, we have a goal of having a million members in APP. And yes, that's quite the, quite the goal to get there. And, but, you know, with, with APP, we're asking for memberships. And I know we've had this conversation with, uh, with people that have uh, met us at meetings. And, you know, maybe they just can't afford the $20 or, or whatever. And that's okay. You don't have to. Just, you know, reach out to us. Let us know that you're, you want to be involved. And, uh, and we'll get you in contact with your, uh, your, uh, your chapter. And, uh, and you, can, you can basically get involved that way. So I would almost, like, if we had... If we have 10,000 members of APP, I would almost say we probably have 12, if not more, because there's a lot of people that are still involved that just have not bought memberships. Well, the other thing, Carrie, that I think is really exciting to understand is that uh, there are over 800,000, maybe 900,000 now engagements and followers on social yes, media. You're right. Absolutely. You know? 
Yeah. So that's that's an exciting thing to recognize because, um, you know, it's just like, you know, when the UCP were elected in the last election, they had 120,000 members, but there were 1.2 million people or 1.4 million people that voted for them. Yeah. You know, so we've got a lot more support than we do members, but members help us with help APP with the educational process. That's right. You know, um, we'll look after Michael's expenses when he's traveling. <laughs> First class. Just, justifiable <laughs> when you're driving all, all around this amazing province. Yeah. Um, I did want to show you what the reach is. Um, we were running stats even on our own website, but I mean, we kind of, we kind of bashed, you know, APP and our own stuff together. And it's impressive to actually look when you look at a map of, of people who have actually watched the APP uh, shows, right? Primarily North America. Yes. But like, it's, it's literally touched everywhere except for this big blank spot up here. Um, But we, it is amazing how many people are out there interested in what's going on in Alberta. Right. Well, this is why, this is one of the reasons why I think it's so important for APP and the freedom movement and all the organizations involved with the freedom movement to be successful, to bring Alberta um, empowered with that secession referendum. Yeah. Because I think we're uh, we're an ex- we can be an example for the world. We can be we can be the tip of uh, the spear to burst this socialist, Marxist, communist bubble yeah. that's enveloping society, and um, and you know because of the tremendous natural resources and the entrepreneurial spirit, work ethic, can-do attitude that Albertans have, that is why this is probably the number one region in the world that can pull this off. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we uh, we definitely could be independent. You know, there's a lot of a lot of other states, a lot of other countries that you know, (laughs) the fact that they're already countries and they and they have to import everything. And you know, we we we're in a pretty unique position. We could survive doing a lot of stuff. And uh, and I know Dennis, you've talked about this before. And and do you mind? Let's just assume no one has ever heard you speak before. And uh, could you? In, in maybe like five minutes, and I know that's a tough, tough call to see, <laughs> but do you think you could go through the, the, uh, the examples that you give in terms of uh, like uh, policing and, and, uh, and pension sure. and all that? Because I think sure. that, that sure. is, that really drives, drives home what, why sure. independence is such a big, big thing. Right. So, um, there are five there there are five key things that Alberta that the Alberta government can do that does not require a petition does not require a referendum that is to take control of policing pensions immigration employment insurance and provincial tax collection so why take control of policing well number 1 uh, then we're not controlled by the our police force is not controlled by the crown it's controlled by Alberta yeah. Okay, so this is why we need to get rid of the RCMP. Second, the rural community is poorly served, and it will be served better by our own provincial police force. Third, the cost um, is would be would be far less uh, now um, after, I mean, um, with a, an Alberta-based police force. When Deloitte did the study to look at the cost of replacing the RCMP, they said it was going to cost something like 80 or 120 million dollars more yeah Um, but what they didn't do is they didn't take into account the cost of the federal bureaucracy 
So why this is important to understand is that when um, private enterprise provides a product or a service and it costs $1, when the federal government provides that product or service, it costs $3. Yeah. So in fact, it would cost less and we'd have a, a more efficient and effective uh, police force and safer environments with, with our own police force. So that's the reason for the police force. And the provincial government has been advocating for that. Two, pensions. Why take control of pensions? Well, simple. We overfund the pension plan by by three billion or uh, by three billion dollars a year, and those three billion dollars could be used better um, by um, by our pensioners here in Alberta. But there's another important reason. Many people don't understand that the federal pension plan um, is underfunded by at least thirty percent. So that means that the, the federal government has little to no capacity uh, to increase pensions over the coming years and may in fact cut pensions or not provide pensions for some people at all. So that is a potential. Um, and then of course there's, there's uh, employment insurance. We overfund employment insurance by a billion dollars a year. Again, that's a waste. Um, and next is the issue of taking control of immigration. Why? Simply because we want immigration. Uh, we're not, you know, I mean, Albertans generally are not uh, opposed to immigration. We just want immigration uh, to fill the needs, uh, the skills, the trades, um, you know, that Alberta requires. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are many businesses that are suffering as a consequence of not having uh, the number of employees that they need because the trades, the skills, uh, are not here right now, or the professionals are not here right now. And then finally, taking control of provincial tax collection, we take control of corporate tax collection now, but there's no reason that we shouldn't take control of provincial tax collection as well. It doesn't require much more uh, in terms of increasing the provincial bureaucracy. Now, that doesn't uh, allow us to take control of federal taxation because um, that's another matter. But those five things can be done and they can be done within 18 to 24 months. Yeah. So subsequent to the May 29th election, assuming that the UCP are elected, they will very likely take control of those five things. What they can't do because we don't have the leverage is we can't take control of federal taxation. Mm -hmm. And why is that important? Because we give about $60 billion a year to the federal government. We only get back 27. Yeah. So he who has the gold rules, so this is why it's so darn important for us to have control of federal taxation. That requires constitutional change. That requires leverage. That requires empowering the provincial government with a secession referendum. Mm -hmm. As we go down the line of that which requires leverage, it also includes ending equalization. We need leverage. Yeah. Ending the carbon tax requires leverage. Ending Bill C-69, Bill C-48, the, the uh, pipeline and tanker bans. Yeah. Um, requires leverage. Um, getting control of our healthcare system, which functions in the lowest quartile of, quali of quality at the highest quartile of cost, also requires leverage um, to get out from under the suffocating constraints of the Canada Health Act. Um, and then, of course, uh, there's also um, the issues uh, that I touched on earlier, the issue of free speech, Bill C-11, Bill C-18. Uh, to get out from under the censorship ban, um, we, that requires leverage as well. Mm -hmm. And we may find sooner rather than later 
uh, that we've got the we've got the darn problem of the um, Firearms Act, in which the federal government withholds transfer payments because Alberta and Saskatchewan is not compliant uh, with the um, collection of firearms. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then we're looking at the issue of the just transition. How do we prevent that? That requires real clout. Then we're looking at uh, this Impact Assessment Act that's coming at us that the Supreme Court will probably rule in favor of the federal government. That requires clout to, uh, to uh, get out from under. So you see um, what can be done when you have leverage. Yeah. And the five things that I mentioned don't require leverage. They just require the courage of the provincial government to take control of policing pensions, immigration, employment insurance, provincial tax collection. Taking control of those other 10 or 12 things requires real clout, real leverage, real power. And that's what the voters of Alberta can do for ourselves by empowering the provincial government. It's really not complicated to think about it. It's really simple. I give you the power, you negotiate with Ottawa what we want, period. That's it. And you know, that's the way the voters got to think. I will give you my, I will empower you to protect my interests, my freedoms, rights, prosperity, and self-determination. Mm-hmm. Bang. There it is. Yeah. That's what we got to work towards. And, and you know, the WEFUN has got Agenda 2030. Why don't we have Agenda 2026 or Agenda 2027? Mm-hmm. Okay. As for a timeline for yes. our referendum. Yes. Yeah, well, you're right. We should. Well, that's what we should do. And that's Hashtag. what we get, we get all of our our uh, independence movements working together yeah. on Agenda 2026 or Agenda 2027. Yeah. You know, so. I don't like that term, but let's call it freedom agenda. Or, oh, call or it separation sure. agenda or something to yeah. that. <laughs> or you could call it call it Alberta's agenda. Alberta agenda. Alberta like agenda. That Alberta works. agenda 2026. Yeah. 2027. You know. That's right. Yeah. Um, lots of comments. Yeah, flex our muscle. That's right. Um, you know, comments like great work. Can we find that information other than just people saying what you just said. Well, again, uh, join APP, get out to a chapter, uh, chapter meeting, talk to people like-minded and, uh, and then find out what's happening with your constituency associations out in your, uh, your writing, your, your CA, uh, in terms of, uh, who to vote for. And because we're now down to, I haven't even worked out the math on it. Is it 52 days, 50, yeah. 58 days, something like that. You know, one response to Ron Krapko's comment mm-hmm. about the information is, is go to the website and look up the, the Clarity Act. And yeah. the Clarity Act will give you the information as the legal pathway. The Clarity Act was uh, drafted by the Supreme Court. Uh, in response to the to uh, the federal government's request, it was called the um, the um, uh, Quebec Secession Reference. That's what it was called, the Quebec Secession Reference. Um, and basically, the federal government asked the Supreme Court, uh, "Does a province have the legal right to leave Canada?" And the Supreme Court came back with the answer, which is yes. And here's the pathway to do it. Yeah. So you can, so Ron, you can look that up. Um, in terms of the Clarity Act. If you want the information regarding um, the, um, the petition um, and the, it, go to elections, the Elections Alberta website and it explains there, um, you know, how a referendum uh, needs to be conducted. And um, yeah, so 
it's, yeah, that's it, good, that's it's good there. Point. Oh, yeah. Uh, that yeah, and it's the Citizens Initiative Act. If you look up the yeah. Citizens Initiative Act, that is um, the legislation that defines the petition um, to change the constitution. And who actually brings that up in in legislature? Is it any any MLP or MLA can do that, or is it uh, like an actual citizen makes? Well, an the Citizens Initiative Act was passed. Uh, last spring, yeah, uh, a year ago. Okay, and and um, so you can you can look it up. It's basically the law. Yeah. Um, and and you can trigger the Citizens Initiative Act uh, by the process that I that I mentioned by garnering over six hundred thousand signatories yeah. on a yeah. petition for yeah. a referendum. Yeah. Yeah. So if I could just throw in for in source of information, uh, I mentioned Corey Morgan's got a book. The Sovereignist yeah. Handbook, which talks also about the information about referendums and citizen-initiated referendums. Yeah. And for information about uh, the secession reference uh, decision and the Clarity Act, if I'll plug my own book, and No Other Option has a chapter yeah. on that. Yeah. So depending on which kind of information you want, there there's also books available on Amazon. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, there's Michael's books right there. No Other Option, Self-Determination and I passed it yeah they did fly by there, there you go yeah. yeah separation or separatism then and now yeah and also Corey and, morgan's book isn't there but it's on amazon oh yes yeah and actually yeah we had uh i could i could hunt him down as well but it's just under coreymorgan.com and you are under michael wagner michael g wagner.net right okay there dennis has uh Corey's book there <laughs> oh yeah there it is that's exactly Perfect. Actually, I have one around here too. <laughs> oh, good. I've got one upstairs. I've read it. It's very, I recommend it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Well, thank thank you so much for coming on, Dennis, and uh, and 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 giving a little bit of uh, insight and in, uh, what's going on with that. Um, I'm gonna kick you off now, and uh, we'll get, we'll get back to uh, Michael. Dealing with Michael, though, because Michael's a great guy. <laughs> you know, just one other thing, you know, yes, yes. you've heard the line, you've heard yeah. the line. If you don't know history, you're destined to repeat it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? You know, and, and if we want to repeat all the crap that we've gone through, yeah. um, then don't understand history, yeah. you know, um, and just think every everything's going to be, you know, wonderful going forward. But if you understand what's happened to us, and if you have some of the reasons of what's coming at us yeah. and what's happening to us right now, you know, then maybe you'll be motivated to, uh, to help the movement. Yeah. No, you know, so agree. all right. Adios. Thank you so much, Dennis. Okay. okay. Bye -bye. <laughs> that wasn't rude. Was it, <laughs> you know, it's, it's great having Dennis on, especially to, to fill the, uh, fill the gaps on a lot of the, those yeah. questions. And I sure. knew we would get comments about, you know, Oh, we're landlocked and what can we do? What would be the, 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 the first things that we would, should end up doing. And, and I mean, he laid them out, you know, uh, and, and, you know, the, the whole taxation, police pension, et cetera, et cetera. And because I get those comments, from people, let's just say um, NDP supporters, right? And they're yeah. like, "Well, the only way we're going to get a better pension is to is to vote in the NDP." And it's like, "Well, wait a minute. No, we've got another solution. Why don't we just take hold of our pension? Why don't we actually uh, have control over it?" And and a lot of people don't even. Well, we can't do that because it goes to the federal government. What if we had our own federal government? 
right? And especially when you hear out the, the numbers of, uh, you know, $3 billion is wasted on pension contributions per year going out to the feds, right? So bureaucracy, bureaucracy. Um, and, and the amount of money that we spend or that we give in terms of uh, taxation, equalization payments out to the feds, who then distribute it back out to Quebec and let's just say the have-not provinces. We won't say Quebec is a have-not, but according to their, their, their books... They're a have not province. And then we get back like 27. So, I mean, we're net negative 33. Like imagine if we kept that amount of money in our province every single year, just imagine that. Right. Um, I know there were people that uh, actually sent me uh, messages. I think it was last week. Uh, I don't know if you heard what's happening at West Edmonton mall. Uh, now granted in the next few years, but Universal Studios is actually taking over West Edmonton Mall mm -hmm. and they're taking one whole half of it. I'm going to say it's probably the half with Sears on it, you know, that dingy side. They're going to level it all. And I believe, and I could be wrong, but not by much, they're putting $7.1 billion into that mall and creating a giant amusement park. Yeah, Universal Studios. Oh. We would be able to do four of those, if not five, every single year if we kept our money here. Put that in perspective, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. There's so there's so much money involved. Yeah, yeah. But I just want to find just tie back to what the dance was saying at the end there. That's kind of the key message yeah. that I have heard in terms of history. And actually, it plays into that lady's question you had on there earlier about yeah. you know the, the movement coming and going. Part of that is because we have forgotten history, and, and it's a natural thing to forget our history, right? Because we've always got things that are happening right now. We got to deal with happening right now and we forget what's happened before. Yeah. But but the, the the case for independence is so much stronger if you see the history. It's like, you know, we forgot about um, the National Energy Program to some degree. We forgot about the CF-18 issue, you know. Yeah, that's right. And this is a pattern. That's the importance. One of the main important points of the history is we see a pattern the way the West has been treated and in particular, the way Alberta gets beaten up on every so often. And if we don't know there's a pattern, you know, it's much easier to accept what's going on now and say, well, this is just a phase we'll go through. We'll vote, we'll vote conservative next time and it'll all be over with. Well, no, if you vote conservative, you know, that, that would improve things probably, but it's not going to solve the problem because this problem has happened sometimes under conservative governments as well. So yeah. to, to, to really understand the case for independence, you really have to see the history to see how many times Alberta has been beaten up, how many times people have tried to improve Alberta's position within the system and it hasn't yeah. worked. That's so, right. So yeah. if we've if we've had the same pattern going on for decades, we realize well now we got to do something different than what we've done before, and pursuing independence is the way you know to do that. Yeah, I started uh, when I was talking about the uh, uh, the prime ministers. I started Joe Clark, and then I got lost in my notes because I'm terrible penmanship. But I was I wanted to get into the point about uh, we have done this before. We've done this many times. We've done Joe Clark. We've done. Uh, like we said, uh, Preston Manning, we've done Brian Mulrooney, uh, Stephen Harper, right? And then uh, Stephen Harper, Canadian boy, and then Pierre Polyev, if, if he ends up getting elected, it's still the power is through central Canada. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and no matter what everybody says about, oh, Pierre is going to save us and it's all going to be good. No, because we've done this before. How many times do you have to keep banging your head against the wall? Yeah. And, you know, even let's take the best case scenario with Pierre Polyev. Let's give yeah. the best case scenario. Yeah. He's only in period. He's only in power for a few years. Four and then we're yeah. back to the liberals. That's so right. the, the best he gives us is a reprieve. Like yeah. maybe Pierre will give us a five year reprieve. Maybe. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We don't. That's the best case scenario. Yeah. But then we're back to the liberals and we're going to get beaten up again. That's so right. 
So Pierre, he's at best a temporary solution. Like the Conservative Party, I've said, is a Band-Aid solution for our problems. That's it's right. not, you know, it's not a real solution. It's a temporary short-term yeah. solution. Yeah. So yeah. like it does make things better. Like, you know, it's, we're better off with a PRPLAF than with a Justin Trudeau. There's no question about that, yeah. Yeah. but it's a temporary solution. And that's the best case scenario is if we get, we get a rep temporary reprieve. That's right. I'm going to, I'm going to say a, a bit of a joke that no one's going to laugh at, but we could say the same thing about Alberta. If NDP's voted in, it's only going to last for four years. <laughs> I that's hope. a four year nightmare. It's hard to laugh at that. <laughs> We've, we've done that before, and uh, and hopefully we're not going to be able, uh, not not going to do that again, um, yeah. right? Uh, the the amount of stuff that's that's uh, that we're still feeling, uh, pipelines, um, you know, there, this we really need to to be focusing on on independence because let's just say, yeah, NDP gets in, the whole economy is a disaster, blah blah blah. And then we vote in another PC or, or that type of government. We're still going to be doing that same cycle over and over and over again, right? And so, great. Four years might be good. Four years are bad. Four years bad. Four years good. You know what? The only way that we can get out of this would be independence. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, any any final thoughts you want to say to say to all our viewers out there? I. I We've, yeah, we've got 221 viewers right now. We've dropped a little bit, but that's okay. Um, it, you know, it always happens after about an hour and a half, and we're at a one hour and 31 minutes. So, um, do you want to uh, do you want to have any last thoughts here? Actually, like nothing that I haven't said before. I just want to yeah. emphasize how important it is to know the history if you really want to understand the case for Alberta independence. Yeah. 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 Go uh, go pick up Ma Michael's books and um, are they only paperback or uh, can yeah you just paperback? Well, actually, no other options on Kindle on Amazon. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. There is an option on Kindle. Sorry, no other option. Uh, that no other works. option is on yeah. Kindle. Yeah, on Amazon. Yeah. Isn't that funny how the English language works? There's no <laughs> yeah. other option. There's no other That's option right. on Kindle. There There's is no other no options. <laughs> I guess I said it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's that influx. Um, let me just go back and see if we have any questions again, put them, uh, three question marks. And then that way, when I quickly scroll back through as I'm doing right now, I can probably flag them. And, um, um, you know, it, it's always great to have Michael on and, and a conversation and, uh, learn the history. And like you said, it's, uh, you need to know your history in order to chart your own future and see what mistakes we've done. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, and especially, you know, there are things that, it's almost like the government or media covers up stuff. They want us to forget what, what has happened in, in the past. Right. And, um, and now that we, we keep this fresh, like I said, share this and, uh, and, and get people engaged in what APP are doing. Um, oh, here's, here's a question. I think we have answered this Dennis or Michael, what are your thoughts on attaining a provincial constitution? So well, I think, go ahead. I was going to say, like, if we became independent, we'd have to have a constitution as a new country. Yeah. But like, um, you, I think, I think it's theoretically possible to have a provincial constitution, but um, it would be subordinate to the the Canadian constitution. So I'm not sure how effective it would be. I mean, yeah, I, so I, I guess I really can't comment about how effective it would be with as if Alberta stayed within Canada. Yeah. I mean, it's probably doable, but um, like again, it would be subordinate to, to the Canadian Constitution. Unless yeah. if we become independent, then of course we have to have our own constitution, and we could make a good one if we wanted. Yeah, yeah. There was there was a few people asking that uh, provincial constitution mm -hmm. thing, so I'm just I just wanted to show that there was more than just one. 
uh, one doing that. Um, and that was the one that we asked already. Uh, here's one. We Just because we can answer these. Since APP has a big audience, will they be addressing the outright lies against Smith? If Notley gets in, there's zero chance of a referendum. Notley, her boss, and Trudeau will eliminate 887,000 jobs in oil and gas. Never mind every business they spend on the check. Alberta will not be the option of the prosperity uh, separate if the NDP Liberal Alliance gets Alberta. And that's very true. So I think one of the uh, the, the lies that we were we had uh, uh, talked about was uh, the I guess they're they're trying to go after the idea of um, uh, healthcare and that you'd have to pay for your own doctor and you'd have to pay for your own surgeries and all that. No, I you know what there is really no uh, basis for that. And uh, and anything that I've read, uh, uh, Premier Smith has basically said, no, that's that's not even in the cards. We will still have, you'll still be able to see a doctor. You will still get basic surgeries or, or even, I guess, you know, if you're in a, an accident and you need a surgery or if you're a cancer treatment or something like that, that's that's still covered. Right. And uh, and, I, and that is not going to go away at all. So, again, another scare tactic that uh, that the NDP seems to be coming up. Right. Yeah, and, and of course, the NDP is supporting the Trudeau government in power. Yeah. So a, a vote for Notley is a vote for Justin Trudeau. There's no question about that. Yeah, that's right, too. Um, let's join in with Party Quebecois. Let Quebec, let Quebec go, and we, the West, will have a much stronger platform. Why not? What have we got to lose? You know, at this point, there's a lot of, a lot of ideas have been thrown around. Um, and, and, yeah, so we have something out in the East and something out in the West. So, and I've said this on the show many times, growing up in, in Winnipeg and growing up in Manitoba, I was always shocked that uh, we, we would basically have our polls or our, our voting done uh, or before they'd even hit uh, Manitoba, right? Like an hour ahead and it's like, oh, the, uh, the liberals have won. And it's like, wait a minute, our polls haven't even closed. And again, it comes down to how many seats there are and 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 what the uh, uh, what you know where where the, the the number well yeah the number of seats where the population is etc cetera, etc cetera, right so um, if if we were to do something in terms of uh, uh, all west to me that almost makes more more logical sense growing up in Winnipeg um, we used to go to Lake Country so Lake Country is practically you can't can't spit without hitting a lake in uh, in Winnipeg or in, in uh, Manitoba, but in Northern Ontario, it's the same thing. So we've got uh, uh, Kenora, Dryden, uh, Thunder Bay, and probably, you know, west of that, um, the Lake of the Woods area. To me, that has always felt like it's been part of Manitoba, right? It's kind of that just, it feels it's the same people, uh, same same conversations you have with them. And then you end up going all the way out to BC. And other than the lower mainland, if you get up into, uh, we'll call it Northern, I mean, Smithers Terrace, all that sort of stuff, uh, Prince Rupert, all that seems to be more um, Western minded, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, that would be a logical division, right? But it's it's difficult to even get one province, never mind, you know, yeah. four, five and a half in order to do that sort of sort of thing. So ideas are out there. There are, there's, there's no, uh, no question about that. Right. Um, 
How does the APP attract other Canadians to move to Alberta to strengthen their movement? That's a very good question. Um, again, APP is not a political party. We're a more educational vehicle. And um, would people move specifically just to join um, a non-political movement? Uh, I don't know. I guess it depends. Like if you're coming from Ontario and you're just upset with what's going on in Ontario, there's there's a lot of places here that you could buy a lot of land. You could, you could definitely move. You could uh, uproot your family and start anew. And uh, that would be great. And, uh, and maybe if the people that don't agree with us, uh, they could get out. (laughs) (laughs) And then the balance uh, works out that way. Um, Do you have any comments on that? Mike? Uh, uh, No, I mean, Alberta, I think has a natural attraction just because of the prosperity yeah, um, that'll change if the NDP gets in. Uh, that we yeah. won't be able to attract as many people then. That is true because that's basically what happened uh, last time, right? Yeah. Um, there were uh, corporations that closed. There, uh, things uh, were were put on hold. Pipelines, uh, construction projects. Um, you know, and and again, I, I, there are some ideas that the the NDP have that are good in terms of maybe uh, some of the, uh, the the union stuff or maybe like and again but it's not what I would expect to be prosperous right it's prosperous for the people that are in power the people that would be in government the people that would be running the unions but it's definitely not prosperous for the rest of us and I think that's the big thing is the the whole idea behind Alberta prosperity project is to make all Albertans prosperous, right? So, right. Well, there you go. So I think that's what we're going to wrap it up at. Uh, again, thank you so much, Michael, for coming on. Always great. Um, I'm not sure when I'll see you next. I'm not sure what other, do you have any other speaking events going on or do you know? Um, uh, like I'll, I might be speaking, I think I'm speaking in Didsbury in a couple of weeks. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, for, for Catherine. Um, yeah. But yeah, well, I, I want to thank you for having me on. It's been, oh, it's been great to be here yeah. and it's good I've, to be with you. Yeah, please, please. Any, any time, uh, you know, we can, uh, we can rope you on and uh, get, <laughs> get you on here to talk about a little bit of history and, uh, and, and see where we're, where, again, where we were and where we're going. That's, uh, that's amazing. So, and with that, I do want a couple of quick things. Um, Obviously, thanks thanks to the viewers for staying online and watching and listening and engaging and asking questions and comments. Please, if you even when we sign on or even if you watch it in the next couple of days, uh, again we're on LinkedIn, we're on Rumble, we're on uh, Facebook. Put comments in. Uh, I do try and get back to them over the next couple of days. Uh, after about a week, it's a little difficult to go back to a, a week old show. But uh, but if we don't answer your question, you could always ask it the next week, and and that works. Um, we do have these weekly uh, APP webinars every Wednesday. Unfortunately, I don't have the schedule for next Wednesday. I'm going to ask Walter if he's uh, available. Maybe he'll let me know who's uh, who's coming on. And uh, and again, we uh, we wouldn't be able to do this without the volunteers. We have such a, an incredible volunteer base through APP. We've got. Uh, uh, through our chapter events. Uh, we, we are getting more into the summer, so I know there'll be more events coming up. And uh, just on, on cue, Walter uh, said Jeff Rath is on next week. So Jeff Rath, constitutional lawyer, and I'm sure he'll be talking about maybe our own constitution if we were to be a, uh, 
uh, an independent uh, republic nation or something like that. Um, and again, if we're always looking for help and volunteers, and if you have time and experience and a skill set to help us, please don't hesitate to contact us through the albertaprosperityproject.com website. And that will be it. I will wish you guys all a fabulous rest of your evening. Once again, thank you very much, Michael. And uh, we hope to see you at a APP chapter event uh, in person or maybe next week online for a next uh, webinar. So with that, take care. God bless. I'm not going to figure out how to do this because I've turned this off already. And there you go. Good night, everybody. Good night.